You are listening to Master Coaching with Ajit, a podcast that inspires coaches to impact lives of their clients more meaningfully. I am Coach Ajit, and I'm known for coaching high performers, entrepreneurs, and leaders. I'm also a serial entrepreneur and author of many books. On this podcast, I am answering your burning questions. I'm also demonstrating and deconstructing behind-the-scenes coaching sessions. Ajit, you've shared before that success in business is determined by a person's adaptability, not their resilience. First of all, I never Mm. knew that, that you Mm. thought that way. So I'd love to hear more about this. Talk about this. Where did this idea come from that a person's success in business comes from their ability to adapt, not their ability to be resilient? So it comes from the understanding of what resilience means. And people have different definitions, but the definition I've most heard or most understood resilience to be is to be able to take a punch right? To be able to take one and get back up, kick one, get back up. And in business or even in life, it's not about can you get back up, but can you learn from the punch and then keep moving forward? So it's about moving forward, not so much about can you get back up. Now, it's different definition based on the person you're speaking to. For example, Nita redefined resilience in her books as being able to move forward, not being able to just get back up. But traditional understanding of resilience is about can you take a punch, right? And then get back up. And that's pretty much where it stops. And that's where the challenge or the difference between resilience and adaptability comes. You want to be resilient, yes, but only if you're adaptable. Because if you're just getting back up, you're back at the same place where you started. You've not moved forward. You've not learned anything from it. You want adaptability to be able to create success. If resilience is exclusive of adaptability, it doesn't work. Resilience works when it's inclusive of adaptability, which means take a punch, learn from it, move forward. Take a punch, learn from it, move forward. See, there is no way in life we're not going to take a punch. That's going to happen in business and life. But what you do with that is what defines if you're going to move further or not. I've met enough people, for example, they're making X amount of money. They lose it all every single time. They make again the same amount of money. They lose it all again. They learn nothing from it. They are very resilient. They get back up, but they don't move forward. They just keep repeating the same cycle. It's like dating the same guy again and again and again. And we know enough people like that. We know everybody that's listening and watching going, yeah, I date the same person. Yeah, I'm in the same bad relationship again. Yeah, I'm making the same amount of money I was making three years ago. All of that is because you're being resilient and life's giving you punches and you're taking them as well. You're awesome. And if you want to move forward, you got to learn adaptability. You got to go... What am I learning from this punch the gut? Or what am I learning from this experience, this challenge, this thing that is happening in my life? And if I can adapt from it, that's when I create progress. So that's the difference between resilience and adaptability. You sharing that reminds me of something that I had a former boss tell me. I had an internship when I was getting my master's in social work. I was at Columbia, New York, and we had to do our internship at AARP, which is the American Association for Retired People. And my boss, my intern boss, Lois Arenstein, she said to me, I was 28 years old, by the way, and I was engaged and my soon-to-be husband and I were going to move to Kansas. And I went into her room and I was like, I don't think I should be moving. I can't leave New York. I've been in New York for 28 years. And she said to me in life, Vasavi, People need to be three things. They need to learn how to be flexible, portable, and adaptable. And that's what what you're saying and your way of defining adaptability. I really love what you said because the visual that just came to my mind was, okay, you can bounce back, but like, what are you doing with that? Like, how are you moving in the world differently now? 
mm-hmm. right? With that learning instead of going back down. So I absolutely love that approach and that add-on to the resiliency. It's not just about bouncing back up. It's what do you do with that and how do you adapt your life and your business? Absolutely. And you would find this very common in personal growth, actually. If you are in personal development, you read a lot of books, but you don't implement them. And that's because you're being resilient. You're like, oh, I'll take one more book on how to be a better parent, how to be a better relationship, or how to be better at business. But you're not going to do anything with it. So you're being very cognizant and aware of that you must learn. But if you aren't implementing anything, if you're not being adaptive, if you're not moving forward from your current experiences, you're going to find yourself back at the same place. And so many of our listeners, so many of our clients are at that place. They feel like, oh, I've hit a glass ceiling. That's the most common thing that people say. And you've hit a glass ceiling simply because you have misunderstood life a little bit. You've misunderstood that to break the glass ceiling is not to come up with some genius idea that breaks the glass ceiling. is about taking your circumstance and learning what you can learn from it and moving forward and creating the new ceiling because there is always a new ceiling and then you break that one. I love that. And I love that it's such a reminder to people, right? You can read all the books. You can listen to this podcast. They can listen to you talk every single week, but what are you doing with that knowledge? And I love that you even said that even reading books is like, that's our way of being resilient. Oh, something happened. I'm going to read a book about it. Okay, great. And what? How are you taking that knowledge and adapting it to your life? Yeah. So I know you love learning and playing with marketing in your businesses. So I would love to know how much do you lean on the fundamentals of marketing versus testing new trends? And what do you think coaches should be thinking about right now to grow their businesses? So that's a two-part question. One of the things or the truths I've found about businesses, businesses is mastery of fundamentals. Successful business is a business that has mastered their fundamentals. And there are only a few fundamentals that one must master. And every area of your business has a few fundamentals that you must master. And the quality of your understanding and mastery of those fundamentals will define the success of your business. So if you meet a super seasoned entrepreneur, what you would find is they found one thing and they really, really mastered it. And it was a product. It was a product category. It was either marketing or type of marketing that they mastered. It could be some kind of client servicing or the way to do client servicing that they're mastered, but they mastered that one thing and they really doubled it down. And usually they are closely related to fundamentals. And you could take any example really. For for example, marketing. Marketing is nothing, like there are trends in marketing and yes, you can ride the trends a little bit and there is some growth in that, but the success of marketing is if you fundamentally understand it. And there's marketing can be, any company's marketing can be fit into a single page. Uh, there are about eight elements that you need to follow. And if you follow those eight elements, if you understand those eight elements, you practice those eight elements, you can coach any company, you can scale any company, you can grow any company from a marketing point of view. It's the same for leadership. There's fundamentals to leadership. If you follow those, if you understand those, you master those, you can be a great leader. There is truths about client servicing and client experience from a product perspective and from generally exchange of communication with your clients. You understand them, you master them, you would have the best client servicing experience. See, I've worked with companies that do a million in sales or even lesser, completely new companies, to companies that do 100 million in sales. And in all of that range, it's usually the same fundamentals everybody comes down to. Because what happens is the more you grow, the less you remember the fundamentals because it's not the person that created the fundamentals is running the show anymore, right? So if let's say you were the founder and the company does went from 1 million to 50 million over five years or 10 years, what would happen is the founder now is busy with running the company. They don't really have eyes on marketing. And the person who came into marketing thinks they have to justify their role and they overcomplicate everything. They say, oh no, it's not such a simple system. Here are 10 different elements that one must consider 
for that marketing to work. It's not true. Usually marketing is as straightforward as eight simple brackets to look at and you master those eight brackets and you're good. You don't have to do anything else. You don't have to worry about anything else. Everything else falls into place. But because more and more people need to justify their salaries and their pays, they make it complicated. As a coach consultant, as you go into these organizations, as you bring simplicity, you're not going to take away their jobs. But what you're going to do is bring tremendous amount of strength to a company. Specifically, let's say if somebody was in marketing or they wanted to specialize, and we train individuals in our certified business coach program to become coach consultants. And one of the modules, we teach them how to become a marketing consultant in just one hour, literally, where we give you a step model like I'm talking about. And you go, these are the eight things you do it. And people have run it with different companies. Our coach consultants have gone out. They've run it with companies of different sizes and they always report back just doing that one thing increase the boost the revenue of the company by 20% 30% just one thing one simple eight step process and what is called a marketing plan so there are two tools that you get in that module those two tools you bring so much clarity so much focus to their business that their marketing thrives tremendously and you make 30-40% more revenue just by implementing that and so every part of the business if you can impact 10% growth in every single part of the business, and we teach about eight different parts inside of the Certified Business Coach Program, is all of those eight parts, if you do each one of them, like 10% growth, 10% growth, 10% growth, 10% growth, you're looking at 100% to 200% growth over the next two years with that company. And that's very valuable to any company because most companies clock about 10 to 20% growth over two to three years, right? And that's very normal. That's very great. If somebody does 10% growth year on year, it's considered very good, especially once they have hit certain volume. And you could help them do 20% pretty much every year, again and again and again, by simply fixing one thing at a time. And we found that to be true by doing it again and again with companies saying, you don't have to overcomplicate this stuff. This is actually very foundational fundamentals. We all forget them. And the more we remind them of that, the easier it becomes. So I know you mentioned the eight fundamentals. I'm super curious to know, can you just share one of them? I know all of them are equally important, but let's think about the coach who's just starting to grow their business. It's step by step or is it's it? Like a, it's, you, it's almost like you'll make a plan okay, of great. what's going to happen mm-hmm. in the marketing thing. Mm-hmm. And usually these eight elements, if you cover mm-hmm. and you have exact idea of what's happening, each, so you'll do this with a company. You can just sit by yourself and do it. You can do it for yourself, but for a company, you have to sit with their marketing director or CMO or whoever that is that is part of the team that is responsible for marketing. And then you would ask these eight sections and say, do you have a clear plan for each one of these, right? One of the eight is referrals. Do you have a good referral system? Are people able to easily refer you as clients? Do you have even a way to ask for referrals? Is there a system within your organization that invites people to think that you love referrals, right? And then they would give referrals because they feel like, oh, wow, we talked about referrals. And so it seems like this company, if I'm having satisfaction with the product I have, referral becomes easy. Most companies don't have that, especially service-based companies have a really poor referral system. But if you implement that just one little thing, you're looking at a 20-30% boost easily, right, in the company and the organization. And most of the times, when you sit down with a company and say, what's your referral system? They go, "Ah, we don't have one. And it's like, all right, great, let's make one. And that one little thing, which is not a complicated implementation because it requires you to just reinteract with customers you already have, which are already your fans if you delivered a good product. So all you're really doing is re-engaging with them, which looks really good for the re-engagement part between you and your client. And at the same point in time, generates new business. 
and easily 10% more. Wow, mind blown. You know, you saying this right now, of course, my mind went to, do I have a referral system? And I realized referrals come to me, but I don't have a system. And if I had a system, it wouldn't just be coming to me. It would be a process that's actually bringing it to me. You get what I'm saying? Very big difference. That's like, oh, I'll take a referral versus, no, I have a system in place that's actually funneling people to me. So this is 11 years in business. And so it's never too late to go back to the fundamentals. Absolutely. It's never too late. And and like you said, most companies are like that, where they're like, oh, the referral comes to me. And that's a great thing in some way. It's also terrible because basically you're giving control to a hypothetical scenario where somebody might hopefully refer you. It's not a good way to operate a business. A business is much more intentional than that. And so you could be like, okay, how do I add it to my communication that referrals become automatic? It's not a complicated thing to build. It's actually really easy to do. But just implementing that sometimes is all you need to grow the company by 10%. So with coaches who are looking to grow their businesses and with these eight fundamentals, where do you find that with the coaches that you work with, like when we're looking at those eight fundamentals, which do you usually tackle first with them? So usually if there's a new coach, the approach is very different. A new coach's problem is, firstly, they don't have a plan. Mm -hmm. That's the first problem that they have. They don't have the eight elements. They don't even know the eight elements. Mm -hmm. Secondly, even if they have some of those elements, what they have done is they have created inconsistent effort across each one of them. So what happens is they have a lot of output, but the output is just going in different directions. It's like having one hose that spits out water, but having like eight nozzles to it. None of them is getting the amount of traction that it needs to get. And so everything is very slow. Like it's like every hose, every pipe is like trickling really slowly because you only have one hose that is feeding water to all of them. It's not going to give the same power because there's not enough water to juice all of them out. So usually for a new coach or somebody who's new, the first thing that we do is simplify. It's simply go, okay, let's make a marketing plan. Let's put down what you're going to do consistently over the next six months across one or all of these dimensions. Again, you only need one of them to work, especially when you're new. You have not hit your first six figures or you've hit six figures. You have not hit two, you know, like you, you don't make enough, like half a million or something like that. You usually need one thing to work. That's you it. I'm thinking about this, you know, when I started my business 10 years ago and I'm looking at what's the one consistent thing that I've done, I'm not saying all my systems are perfect, right? But if there's mm -hmm. one thing that I've consistently done is be visible mm -hmm. and share my story. I may not have the most amount of this or the greatest software or whatever the hell, you know, but I love that you said that, like, just like do that one thing, like get that really good. And from there, so whatever that is, I, mm -hmm. I, I love that because I know it can be overwhelming for new coaches, yeah. you know? And how about for a new coach, with let's just say under 10 coaching clients, I want to go more into their niche and messaging because I know how many times I've changed my niche and messaging as I've evolved as a person. I will openly say that. But how often is a new coach with under 10 coaching clients, how often is their niche and messaging expected to change until they get into their groove to feel confident and start really growing? To be able to put a number towards how many times in this niche and message would change would be unfair to the coach. Because sometimes you'll nail it in the first go. I nailed it in the first go of the kind of clients I wanted to work with for my first niche and first message. Now, here's what will happen. Whenever you nail it, it could happen in the first go, it could happen in the 10th go, who knows, right? But whenever you nail it, you need to understand it as a step to your evolution, not the evolution. And that's one of the biggest challenges that a coach would have is they think if I pick the niche and message, that's it. That's not it. That is it for now. Which means that a year later, you might be doing another niche in the message. It may be in parallel to what you were already doing. So today, 
I am a business coach. I'm a life coach. I am leaning into a little bit towards health coaching as well. I'm working on my models around that. I also do a little bit of spiritual trainings, not coaching. And at the same part of time, I run companies myself. So what is my niche? All of them, right? There is no one definitive niche. But what happens is I have enough resources to put around each of these niches that all of them are successful in their own right, right? So I don't compare them because, of course, when I business coach, my contract size is quarter million dollars. And when I'm life coaching, of course, it's not quarter million dollars. It's much lesser, right? And when I'm doing a program, it's only a few thousand dollars, right? So it's not the same output in the sense success doesn't look the same for each one of them. But I know why I'm doing it and I'm driven to it and I can put resources behind actually executing each one of them without sacrificing the joy of life that I enjoy. So it's not a question of how many niches and messages would you change. It's more about you must understand you're infinite like everybody else, which means you are going to at one day find this gives me most joy right now. And then you will make a decision at one point to say, I want to keep doing it or I want to completely switch. Now, every time you make a complete switch, you're going to reset yourself to zero. So it's completely your decision. It's not right right or wrong, it's just different, is I never set myself to zero because I go, I found this market, it works, I will maybe limit how much I do in this market because I want to do this other thing as well and this also gives me joy, but I'm not going, oh, I'm going to turn this to zero and then start from zero. It's almost leveraged. I have already doing this, let me leverage it to find a life coaching client, let me leverage this to build a certification, let me leverage this to build a program, let me leverage this to build a partnership. And whatever that is, the different fields that I'm doing, they're all leveraging off of each other. None of them are going back to zero. So at no point have I said, it's like, all right, I am done with this niche. The reason why you're done with a niche or you feel you're done with a niche is because you're overexhausted yourself in it and temporarily you don't feel joy in it, but it's not actually that you don't like it. It's most likely that you've done so much in it that you would like to do less of it. So instead of turning it off, you want to think about what else I can turn on that does give me joy. And you will find that every market that you work in, there will be, if you were working with 10 people, two of them are still fantastic clients or five of them are fantastic clients. Keep the five, five the remaining five and have another market that opens up for you. And now you leverage off what you have instead of going back to zero, going back to zero, going back to, which is what a lot of coaches do because they go, I'm exhausted. I'm tired. I've tried a lot in this field and I don't want to do more. Right. But instead of that, ask yourself, do I enjoy doing it? And if I did less of it, if the answer is yes, just do less of it. You don't have to go to zero every single time. That's the problem with coaching is a lot of the times people just go back to zero. So they never really build an asset that keeps doing what it needs to do. My business coaching, literally, I have not enrolled a new client in probably a year, but it still generates six figures for me every single year. Because I just re-enroll the clients. I have only the clients that I love. The amount of work that I want to do is exactly that much amount of work. It keeps me abreast to what's happening in business coaching. But at the same point in time, I'm like, I'm not excited to learn all over and find a three, five-year client. Because that's how long a client for business lasts for me. It's three to five years easy. But I'm like, I don't want to do another three-year client. I, I'm excited about business, but I'm also excited about building my own business. And I'm building a whole different thing right now. So I'm like, I'm excited about all of that. And I want to keep doing this because this is still fun. But I'm not going to say, okay, I'm going to fire all my clients because I don't want to do business coaching. No, I want to do, I just want to contain it. So that's what one must ask, is you usually are never done with a niche. You're just not interested in it right now. So you don't have to turn it to zero. Just make it less and keep doing it. There are so many gems in what you just said. First of all, everything that you're saying, even about a new coach and the niche and messaging, it's 
you're still referring to adaptability. The whole theme of this conversation is about being able to be adaptable. And I will say this, I will be the first person to raise my hand. In 11 years of business, I have done that. I have burnt off one thing and thought I had to start from scratch each time. But in the past four years, I would say I realized, okay, I'm excellent when it comes to enrolling clients, keeping my clients. I don't try to find new clients. I just nurture the ones that I have. Just like you said, my father always said, instead of trying to acquire new clients, service the hell out of the ones that you have and they'll keep coming back. So that's what I do. But I got burnt out too. And I'm so happy that you said this because it doesn't freaking matter how many years you've been in something. You will get sick of it. It happens. We get sick of things. So just thank you for that nuance because in this season... I'm adding on voiceover. I want my voiceover to bring in a nice, sustainable chunk of change for me. But in my mind, I know I don't have to stop doing the coaching, right? I just want to be really clear on who I'm working with and they're enjoyable. And so I love that you even said to everyone listening, like, if you have 10 and you don't want to keep doing that, get rid of the other five. Like, and, you know, not obviously toss them aside, but this is really about being honest with yourself. Yeah. About what works. Absolutely. And I think there's one more thing that every new coach should note is that you are at a place where there's tons of experience behind you. Except for if you're a 20-year-old coach that is just starting out. Different circumstance for you. But if you've lived even five years of corporate life, so you're 25 or 27, you've lived five, seven years of corporate life or some life. And in that life, you have enough experience that there's no reason to burn anything down. No reason for you to believe, oh, I don't have experience. You have experience. It may not be contextual or same to somebody who has 20 years of experience of life, but you still have five years of experience of life, which gives you so much more power to actually operate every single day. Because what happens, especially as a new coach, is we go, oh, I don't have experience. I don't have credibility, right? And maybe you don't have credibility and you can get that by doing something like Certified Business Coach with us. You could get it because you are using a established company's methodology. So you get some credibility there. But experience you have because you have lived life. And as you've lived life, you can take that living of life and use that experience to further your coaching practice, to find your clients. But the reason why people struggle so hard to start their coaching business is they think the five, seven years of life that I lived, that is a zero because I'm a new coach. That's not a zero. If you leverage this life, it's much easier for you to start and scale your coaching business. The reason why I got successful so fast is because I'd never burned down my previous life. I honored it. I said, well, I've run companies before. I ran Mind Valley before. I was the CEO of the company I helped it build. So I would put that in my positioning. I was like, yeah, I helped build it. I have not run my own company per se, but I helped some other company to be built to a certain level. And I leveraged the heck out of it to get my first few clients. And then I made them successful. And now it was easy to get referrals. It was easy to re-enroll and all that type of fun stuff. But initially, the way to get traction was to simply say, you know, I built that thing. So I did not not acknowledge that, right? I did utilize it. And like all of us have some leadership experience, some working experience, some digital experience, some experience of life. We may have had challenges that we've overcome. I remember this story. It's a beautiful story, not my story. There's a gentleman called Steve Chandler. He's been in this field, coaching field for a while. And I heard this story secondhand, so I might butcher it a little bit. He wanted to be a corporate coach. He wanted to go to companies and start coaching companies. And he was doing well. He was talking to the board. He was talking to everyone and everybody was liking him. At one point, somebody from the board stood up and said, not stood up, but kind of asked the question, hey, why should we hire you? You have no business experience. You've never built a company before. Definitely not the company of the size that we have. Here we are board of advisors. You've never had a board of advisors. Why should we hire you? And so Steve kind of paused and said, hmm, 
you're right. Why should you hire me? Well, let me tell you a little bit about my life. And then he goes on to say how his wife was in the hospital because of a bipolar disorder where, you know, whatever, she was on medication and so forth, that he was a single dad to, I think, three kids, uh, that he was an alcoholic before that. And that and point after point, like he was just talking about his life and how he's lived his life back to back to back to back. And he said, well, that's why I think you should consider that you should hire me. And the and the board was like, absolutely, yes. Let's get you on board. Because you may think people are hiring you for the check boxes. They don't. They hire you for the experience that you bring to the table, for the beingness that you bring to the table. And that you have. You can choose to accept it, acknowledge it, and utilize it. Or you can fight it and say, oh no, I need to be somebody else or be like Ajit to be able to get a client. No, you don't have to be like Ajit. You just have to be the best version of you. And yes, you need a stacked on methodology. Steve had it. We are training you on it. And once you have that methodology, you're down. But you can build whatever coaching business on top of it. You don't need any other kind of experience per se. I know a lot of new, a lot of seasoned coaches would hate me saying that. But even a seasoned coach is a very experienced, life-lived person is why they are experienced in a seasoned coach. A good coach is a coach that has lived life. If they've not lived life, they have just theoretical understanding of stuff, they're not a very good or very effective coach. They probably are not going to create the same quality of results that a person who says, I have experienced shit in mm -hmm. my life so I can actually talk about stuff. I love that you're talking about leverage because so many new coaches and even seasoned. I mean, I, I think honestly, at any phase, we may go through this where it's like, what do I even have to offer? You know, we have that conversation. What do I even have to offer? And I love that you're telling people to leverage what they've been through. You know, I want to share this. When I first started coaching, I was 28 years old and I knew three things. I knew what it was like to be a first-generation Indian immigrant navigating an all-white kind of community, right? And identity. So I, I was very clear on identity, like issues and crisis, because I'd gone through that. I had also been diagnosed with a mental disorder. I don't like calling it a disorder, but I was, I was given this label. So I had a lot of knowledge around mental health. And I also knew what it was like to be Indian, you know, an Indian woman. So my first few coaching clients were all friends of the family and their kids, mm -hmm. because I coached on what I knew. You know, and so I love that you're telling people to leverage their experiences. And even the fact that, you know, you leverage the fact that you were the head of Mind Valley and you helped build that, and you, but you didn't build your own business. You leverage that. And you could have totally not brought that because you didn't want to sound arrogant or you didn't think that it was relevant, but you used your experience to package yourself and to say, you know, I can do this. Yeah, And I think more coaches, when they, number one, start to live life and have more texture in their life and have more experience, you feel more confident putting yourself out there, which leads me to my last question about social media, because I know you know this in your, you know, accelerator program and, you know, a lot of coaches struggle with getting on social. There's a love-hate relationship with the platform. So what do you suggest for navigating online visibility when a coach hasn't even signed their first client yet versus when they're working consistently with clients? So online or social media is a desire that one must have. So if you're as a coach going, how do I be more present on social media? Before even asking that question, you must ask the question, do you want to be more present on social media? Is that your greatest asset? And the reason for that is because we only do things that we like most easily, right? So it's, for example, if there's a particular kind of cuisine that you like, a particular food you like, it's more likely that you eat it more often versus the food that you don't like, even if it's the healthiest for you, right? So if let's say, for example, you're Indian, you love rotis and dosas, I can try to convince you that you should eat a salad for a meal, but you'll be like, but I love rotis and dosas, you'll more likely lean into that, right? So 
that's just how we are as human beings. So if you don't like social media or if you don't like creating videos for social channels or if you don't like doing certain things, if you lean into it, you're not going to do it consistently. You're not going to want to do it. And so it's going to take a lot more effort for you to do it. And you can build a new capability like that. But let's say you're trying to find your first success. If you're trying to find your first success, you don't want to go into the most difficult thing to find your first success. You want to find the easiest thing that will create your first success. And that usually is something that naturally comes to you. What I've found is, and I'm not saying every coach is like this, but most coaches, it comes a lot more easier to them to talk to other people. Just talk to people that are around you. So what my invitation would be is firstly to identify what's your strength that you can further leverage. You will build on your weaknesses, absolutely, but there might be a different time for that. When you already have something going, then you can say, okay, now I can put the time, effort, energy, resources that are required for me to build this additional skill. For example, when I started my coaching practice, I wasn't going on making YouTube videos or social media videos or trying to do talks and speeches on stages. No, they were not my strengths. What I was trying to do was to go to events and meet people that were contextual to what I wanted to build, which is business coaching. That was my first coaching spout uh, for the first few years. I was like, I'm going to go to different business events where people go for growing their business to learn how to grow their business. And I'm going to talk to them and I'm going to see if I can help. And if I can help, I would enroll them into a, another future conversation where I would actually work with them to identify their goals and see how I fit into helping them beat those goals. And then I would enroll them into my coaching packages. That was the easiest path. That was the thing that was easy for me to do because one-on-one -on -one interaction is extremely easy for me to do and was always easy for me because that's my natural strength. When I'm in a one-on-one -on -one relationship with someone, I'm incredibly powerful as a person to have conversation with. But then eventually I got to a point where I was like, okay, I have leveraged this enough. And I would like to build new capabilities. So the next capability I built was, can I be a really good speaker for video? Because online presence is huge. So I started with YouTube, right? And then I was like, wow, this is great. And I love conversations. So let me start podcast. But this is over eight years, right? I built YouTube. Then I built podcast. Now I'm building social, right? But it's not that first thing I'm like, oh, I'm not going to be successful because I don't have social. No, I was wildly successful. Like compared to any new or even seasoned coach, I was doing still multiple six figures as a coaching business, just business coaching my ass off by just talking to people, right? So you don't need a lot of clients, especially if you're a business coach. You get your average contract size is 10 to 15,000. Even if you're a new person, if you're a little bit more seasoned, your contract size is going to be 25 to $50,000 as a business coach over the course of a year, which means you get five clients, you're at quarter million dollars. Right, So it's that complicated. You're trying to enroll five clients over a 12-month period. If you are present to it, you can absolutely do that. It's not difficult. They're already around you. You just have to look for them and have conversations. It might be that you'll end up doing 50 conversations for it, but five people enrolled over 12 months is not difficult. At twenty, and Even at $20,000, that's $100,000, right? So you could totally do that. And $20,000 is nothing for a business that is doing, say, a million in annual revenue, which is... I think just in US is about 700,000 businesses. I could be wrong with the number here. Maybe it's 500,000, but there's a significant amount of businesses that do over a million in sales. And so $20,000 for an annual for getting them a 20% boost, which is worth 200,000 to them, no brainer. They will absolutely say yes, right? So there you go. You want to find five of such guys out of 500,000 businesses that is across US. Very easy to find. It's not complicated. You just don't do the math ever. 
and you make it more complicated than it needs to be, or you find procrastinating ways like, oh, I need to get good on social before people will say yes. I didn't have a website for the first five years of my coaching career. Literally, not even if you type in it, it will say, you know, one of those parking pages would show up if you Googled my name. You might find my profile on some social networks like Facebook, but my private page, not my fan page. This is my private page on LinkedIn and Facebook because you don't need to be Googleable when you're just starting out as a coach. You just need to be present in front of the person. People are not buying your Facebook profile, they're buying you or your services. You could offer it, you could totally enroll from that place. And just that is enough for you to get your first traction. And that's how you get started. And again, if social media is your strength, if you're already good at it, then do that, whatever that is. But the curiosity shouldn't be, what's the right strategy? The curiosity would be, what is it that I can do easily, consistently, or an extended period of time so I can keep doing it, keep finding a better way to do it, and then enroll from it. As I enroll from it, and I, as I enroll enough from it, what would happen is I would have resources. And by resources, it means you might hire a assistant. And the assistant might come in and say, all right, every Saturday or every Friday, I'm coming into the office and we're going to do all of the social. I'm going to script out based on everything that I've learned from you. And we're going to just record social content. There you go. But then you have resources to actually implement. It's an interesting distinction one must understand. It's called distinction between capacity and capability, right? Everybody's capability as a human being is infinite. I do not doubt anybody's capability. You have capability to be a social media rock star, the best coach on the planet, be the most profound speaker that is possible, uh, be a YouTube celebrity, be a real celebrity on live TV, everything. You have the capability of doing all of it. The question to ask is, do you have the capacity to do it? By capacity, it means the number of hours in the day, your personal energy levels, where are you able to channel that personal energy into a particular type of act or not, right? All of those things comprise of your capacity. If you are somebody who has a job right now and you're trying to be a social media superstar with that, it's going to take a lot of capacity. And if you don't have the capacity, you don't want to become a social media superstar, right? Because you would, yes, run into, I have an insane amount of capability, but I have zero capacity, so you're not going to follow through on it. Use the capacity that you have. Know the real capacity and know that capability-wise, you're infinite. And eventually, you'll tap 100% of your capability because you will engage resources around you. You'll find people around you. And as you do that, you will then be able to fully utilize your capability. But it will need that resources. Here's the thing that I say, is there are two fights, everybody fights. The first fight is between you and your mind. That is your fight of saying, can I actually do this? This is the fight of knowing that I have capability, but I may not have capacity. And to be able to honor that and work with that. And the second fight is when you will fight for your dreams. And the world will tell you that you cannot have your dreams. You cannot get the goals that you want. And that's when you need a team. Because then you need infinite capability and capacity, right? So you will go, okay, I have my infinite capability already to build infinite capacity. I need to get this team around me. This may include friends, colleagues, partners, whatever it might be. And that's the bigger fight. But to get to fight number two, you got to first win fight number one. And to win fight number one, you need to first honor where your capacity capability is right now and work with that. Man, Ajit, from adaptability to leveraging our strengths and our experience, to the distinction between our capability and our capacity. I love that. Is there anything left that you want to say to the new or the seasoned coach that's listening? I think the only message that I always try to leave new or seasoned coaches with is always remember that there is a pace to life. There's a pace to building your organization. There's a pace to building whatever you are building as your dream life. 
And it doesn't have to be happening yesterday. And that's, I think, the the common challenge or common concern individuals tend to have is they feel like they're behind or they're not getting where they need to get to. And that's something that one must understand is that the pace of life is there so you can fully enjoy the journey. The, the getting to the destination sounds really fun and we all want to get there as quickly as possible. But if we could honor the journey, if we could really love the walk, the road to get there, you will have a lot more fun when you get there too. If you get there too fast, we, we don't get to celebrate it. That doesn't make a great story. And honestly, it's probably not going to happen. It's more likely that it doesn't happen than it's likely that it will happen. What will happen is that if you stay the path, if you stay the course, if you think about your life in 10, 20, 30 year terms, you're more likely to live your dream than if you think about your life in the next 12 month terms. So if you build a skill, don't build a skill for next three weeks, build a skill for 10 years, because that's how you really honor or skill. Like when you become good at something, even if it took you three years to get there, you can leverage the crap out of it for 10, 20, 30, right? I became a good coach, not today. I'm leveraging it today, but I became a really good coach when I was probably 27, 28 years old. That's when I really understood the value of coaching and I used it in organizations that I was part of because I was always working with people and I could coach my seniors and my juniors. And I realized that if I just coach them instead of try to tell them what to do, it's much easier for them to do exactly what I want them to do. It's not that it, it was at that time, it was kind of manipulative a little bit. I was in my 20s, I was at a season of life where I wanted to get ahead. But I learned the power of how you could use conversation to be able to create results. And because I learned it at that time, I'm still using it like 15, 20 years later. So every skill that you build is not a skill for now. It's a skill for 5, 10, 20, 30, 40 years from now. And you will still be using it at that time. So build a skill, not for an immediate return on investment, build it for long-term return on investment, and you'll find you get so much success with that. Wasn't that a fun, exciting conversation? Listen, if you're ready to start building your adaptability in life and start to move forward in your business this year, instead of doing what you've always done, I want to invite you into Certified Business Coach. You see, Certified Business Coach is our partnership certification program in partnership with Mindvalley and Evercoach. We've created this program because we know businesses are so important and businesses are foundations of economic growth of a country and it definitely uplifts society, makes the society a lot more abundant. The spring cohort is starting on April 3rd, which is just in a few days. When you join a Certified Business Coach, we cover all the topics that we discussed in this podcast and so much more. We train you around marketing, leadership, talent management, culture, finance, and money. We lead into every single area that a small business may be considering to solve or have problems around. And we show you how to coach a person and consult a problem. This is one of those trainings that you would refer to again and again and again for many years to come while building your business and your empire and while helping companies really thrive in the coming times. Now, there's a lot more to be said about that program and I would love for you to check it out. So why don't you go to the show notes and find the link that is about Certified Business Coach in there or you can type in evercoach.com slash cbc slash podcast. I say that again, evercoach.com slash cbc slash podcast. I'm super excited to see you inside the program. Thank you so much for tuning in. This is Coach Ajit and you're listening to Master Coaching with Ajit. Oh,